We welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I'd like for you to take your Bible this morning and go with me, if you would, into the New Testament and find Acts chapter number 6. Acts chapter number 6. When I was a boy, uh, a gentleman took me frog gigging one night. (laughs) How many of you have ever been frog gigging? I'm just curious. Ah, those of you who have never been frog gigging, you've missed out. And we went frog gigging, and uh, I need to gig one now. The problem is, is I could, if I miss, I'm going to be in real trouble. So you pray for me. Pray for the frogs to jump out, will you? We're in Acts chapter number 6. We begin reading in verse number 1. Acts chapter number 6 and uh, verse number 1. This past Lord's Day, it was the first Sunday of 2024, and we looked at a passage in Genesis 5, Enoch walked with God, and we talked about the wonderful possibility that God has provided to all of us to walk with him and the privilege that it is uh, to, to walk with God. And so we looked at that passage, and I'm praying that God will help all of us to seek to walk with him in 2024. Then last Sunday evening, we looked at the passage uh, concerning uh, the Word of God. And I gave you from 2 Timothy chapter 3, seven reasons, seven biblical reasons why you should read the Bible. As we think about our walk with God, we understand that it involves our fellowship with Him in prayer and in reading the Word. And so tonight, we're going to talk about that a little bit more. And I want to give you seven reasons, seven biblical reasons that you should pray. The disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. Not necessarily how to pray, but to pray. And of course, the Lord does teach us how to pray. But when we ask the Lord to teach us to pray, we're dealing with the subject of motivation. And uh, we know we need to pray, but often we don't, do we? And uh, so I hope you'll be with us tonight. Along that same theme, as we come into Acts, we're going to spend the next few weeks in the book of Acts on Sunday mornings. Uh, With this thought in mind, the priorities of the church. The priorities of the church. And we're not going to do an intense study of the book of Acts. We've already gone through it as a church a few years ago. But we're going to look at the priorities, establishing the priorities of the church. Now, we don't have to establish them. God himself has established them for us in his word. So it's our responsibility to discover those and then to be faithful to execute them. And so that's where we're going to be. And to begin this study, we're coming to the book of Acts in the sixth chapter this morning. And so I'll invite you to read with me verses 1 through 8. And in those days, when the number of the disciples were multiplied... 
there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. What's happening here is there's a group of widows, the Grecians. They are what you might call Hellenized Jews. The word Hellenistic or Hellenized, meaning uh, influenced by the Greek culture. There were two groups of Jews in, in Jerusalem, those who were Grecians, those who were Hebrews. They would have been more faithful to the traditional life of a Jew. And they both, both groups were in the church. And so there was a, a problem. The widows of the Grecians perceived that they were being neglected. Perhaps they were. There's no doubt it was unintentional. But at least the perception was there, and perhaps the reality was that there was a case for that. So when the problem was identified, the way it was addressed was by murmuring, complaining. Verse 12, or verse 2 rather, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we, that's the apostles, will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost. And Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith, and Stephen full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. I want you to notice what we read in verse number four. The word of God says, but we, that's the apostles, will give ourselves. You know, we all give ourselves to something, don't we? And typically, we give ourselves to the things that are important to us. Well, here we find the church is faced with a problem, a dilemma. There's a group, as I mentioned a moment ago, of widows, the Grecians, who felt as if that their daily needs were not being taken care of, as were the needs of the Hebrew widows. And because of that, there was division, there was murmuring, a problem was revealed. And the disciples, in response to that problem, were faced with pressure, the pressure to solve the problem. And that pressure brought a temptation. And the temptation was this, that in addressing that problem, in meeting that need, in rectifying that situation, that they could do something that needed to be done and fail to do something that was more significant or more important. That they could, in an effort to please 
the Grecians displeased God by neglecting the ministry of prayer and the word. And so they gathered the assembly together and said, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. You see, the problem and the pressure gave them the opportunity to reestablish, to restate the priorities of the church and of the ministry. And as they did so, what they found is that the church didn't go backward. It, 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 didn't, it didn't fall apart as a result of this problem, but rather it progressed. And so we find that the book of Acts gives us a list of priorities. And in the next few weeks, we're going to examine them. But this morning, I want to deal with you on this subject, reestablishing the priorities of the church. Reestablishing the priorities of the church. Understanding that we live in a world where people have uh, different ideas. Even in, in churches, even among Christians, people have different ideas and, and agendas for the church and for its ministers. And all of us, to some degree, are ministers. We all who know the Lord are commissioned to be witnesses for the Lord. We are His ambassadors. We're His representatives. We are ministers in a lost and dying world. And so we need to remember our priorities. And may God help us to do so. Now, I want to give you four things that led them to the discovery, rather, uh, of this priority and, 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 and how God worked through these things uh, to not only lead them through the problem, but to move them forward. And so let's look at them. First of all, I want you to see the problems in the church. The problems in the church. Now, we don't like to talk about problems in the church, but we all know that there always will be problems to some degree in the church. And I'm grateful that if there are any at the moment, I don't know them. <laughs> that makes it far better for me to preach a sermon like this. Because I'm not addressing anything in particular. But we know that churches have problems. We know that churches have problems because people have problems. Families have problems. This, this as Job said, man that is born of a woman is few days and full of trouble. So we know that problems will arise. And the Bible tells us that problems arose. Look, if you would, again, in verse number one. And in those days, when the number of the disciples were multiplied, the church was growing, the church was advancing, and there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So problems came to this church. It was a church that met daily. It was a church that was on the move. It was a church that was growing in, in power, in witness, in unity, in grace. And therefore, problems naturally occurred. As I mentioned a moment ago, the Grecian, uh, the Grecian uh, widows felt as if they were not cared for to the same degree 
as the Hebrew widows. The Bible doesn't give us any details about that, whether that was true or not, or whether it was just something that was perceived. But oftentimes, whether it's true or not, if we perceive something to be true, we often hold on to it, don't we? Perhaps it was. Perhaps it was just a, a lack of oversight and administration. But nonetheless, it was a problem. And people have problems. Churches have problems. And what we all need to learn is how to address our problems. And what we find here is that the people address what we will say was a legitimate problem. They addressed it in an illegitimate way. Because they murmured, they complained. They immediately, in their mind, leapt to the conclusion that it was somehow intentional or that they were not as valued as one group. So they took offense. By the way, we live in a generation that easily takes offense. And oftentimes, we as Christians easily take offense. Their murmuring didn't minimize the problem. It didn't solve the problem. It magnified the problem. And that's what murmuring does. Our complaining is a sin against God. If we read the book of Exodus, we find that the children of Israel, all through their wilderness wanderings, murmured against the Lord. This murmuring also pulls the attention of the church away from its primary task. The church gets distracted by uh, the, the problems and the conflicts and, and, and in that time of distraction is drawn away from what is important and what God has given us to do. And what is that? It is to make disciples. It is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And here's what we know. We know that there will always be problems in the church because Satan hates the church. And Satan attacks the church. And he works in the realm of our minds to, to, to uh, promote the feelings of offense or division or strife. The sinners fill the church. Satan hates the church and he attacks it, but sinners fill it. All of us are sinners today. We understand that, don't we? We may be sinners saved by the grace of God. Thanks be to God for that. But we still have a flesh and a sin nature that we deal with. And that sin nature, that flesh, is contrary, it's in conflict with the work of the Spirit in our lives. And so all of us who are in the church, saved by the grace of God, still deal with sinful thoughts, sinful tendencies, sinful attitudes. And therefore, we're prone to division. We have the potential to help the church. You can't have a church without people. And you can't have a church that serves and reaches, reaches its community unless people are willing to serve and labor. And so people help the church, but people, the same people who have the potential to help the church also have the potential to hurt the church with murmuring and complaining. And that's what's happening here. But though Satan hates the church and sinners fill the church, here's something we need to understand that the Savior loves the church. Do you know there is nothing that God loves more on this earth than His church? There is nothing happening in this world more important at this time than what's happening in His church. 
Do you think the Lord is more concerned about the political campaigns that are coming up than he has his church? Well, I've got some news for you. He isn't. The Lord is concerned for his church. He's concerned that his church carry out his will. You see, Jesus so loved the church that he died for the church and he gave himself for the church. He commissioned the church. He instructs his church. He empowers his church. And he's coming again to catch his church away. And he will forever be with his church. I want to tell you that the church is mighty important to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we deal with problems and we deal with conflicts, we need to understand that our personal conflicts and our personal preferences and our personal likes do not supersede the purpose of Christ and the love of his church. But there was a problem in the church. And as long as people are together, there will always be problems. There will always be misunderstandings. There will be unintentional hurts and there will be times when we feel overlooked and underappreciated, criticisms, misunderstandings will be something that we deal with until we get to heaven. But the wonderful thing is, is that we can, by the grace of God, continue to serve God together and love God together and accomplish God's work together in spite of those things. There were problems in the church. Well, the second thing we see in this text is that there were pressures upon the church. Notice, if you would please, in verse number two, then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, it is not reason that we should leave, notice this, that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. We, we acknowledge there's a need, but you need to understand it's not a good idea for us to leave the pulpit, to leave the prayer closet in order to take care of this conflict. You see, as we come to verse 2, we see the problem remains mishandled and unresolved. And as I mentioned a moment ago, the murmuring of the people did nothing to minimize the problem. By the way, that's what mature people do. We try to minimize problems. But their murmuring only served to magnify the problem. And it threatened the unity of the church. So the apostles are under the pressure to solve the problem. How do we know they were under pressure? Because they said, it is not reason. You, you cannot place this expectation on us that we would leave the Word of God, the ministry of the Word, and serve tables. You see, their temptation in this pressure was to leave the most important task in order to fill a task of lesser importance. That's what a priority is. It's understanding the precedent. <coughs> Excuse me. It's understanding the order. Martha gives us a great example of this in Luke chapter 10. I'd like to invite you to turn there with me. The gospel according to Luke in the 10th chapter. Luke chapter number 10. The Lord Jesus is going to the home of Mary 
and Martha and Lazarus, of course. And Martha is preparing for her company. And perhaps there were many others that were coming to gather to hear the words of Jesus. And so she wanted her home to be right. She wanted the meal to be right. And the Bible tells us in Luke 10 and verse 40, but Martha was cumbered about much serving. She was, that word cumbered means to be occupied. The Lord is in her home. He's in the living room, we might say, speaking to Mary. Or maybe at the kitchen table, speaking to Mary. She is absorbing everything he's saying. He is in her presence, but Martha is cumbered. Her mind's occupied. She's busy, passing in between those in conversation, maybe with a disapproving look or a huff of a breath to indicate, you should be helping me. I'm working hard, and you're not. She was cumbered about much serving. By the way, that often happens to those of us who serve the Lord in ministry. That happens in the context of a church. The Bible said she came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? You see, Martha is beginning to develop a bad attitude. She has a bad attitude about her service. She's cumbered about it. It's, it's become more important to her than her Savior. She's lost sight of him in the midst of the service. That's a temptation and a snare that comes to all of us. We forget who we're doing this for. We forget what this is all about. Not only did she have the wrong attitude and a bad attitude about her service, but she had the bad, a bad attitude about her sister. And she said, bid her therefore that she help me. I mean, what is she doing? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to him talk. By the way, that's the thing they all needed, right? That's the thing you and I need. That's the step, though, that we bypass so we can get to the Martha stage. Because we got to do, do, do. We got things to do. Martha said, my sister doesn't want to help me. And then she got a bad attitude about her Savior, didn't she? Lord, dost thou not care? Don't you care that I'm out here doing all of this? That's the pressure that we often find ourselves under. I have to confess to you that as a pastor, I often feel these pressures. Our staff often feels these pressures. Our deacons feel these pressures. Our Sunday school teachers feel these pressures. You feel them in your home, dealing with your children, when there's a problem and they're not happy. I find that what most parents are simply hoping to do is please their children. I think that's a natural thing to want to do, don't you? As a pastor, I, I want to please people. There's pressure there. But the truth of the matter is God has not called us to please our children. He's called us to please Him. Our parenting should not be directed toward pleasing our children. We shouldn't seek to displease them. But our parenting should move from the perspective of pleasing God. Uh, our ministry should not be from the perspective of trying to please people. 
We don't want to offend them, not unnecessarily, by any means. We want to help people. But our pursuit in ministry should be to please God. And so Martha gives us an example here. And Jesus said of Mary in verse 42, Mary hath chosen that good part. She has her priorities straight. She did not relent to the pressure to pursue lesser goals. She has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away. You see, there's a challenge that comes to us in life and in ministry. And that is that we not lose the good part, but that we cling to it. And the presence of conflict provides us a temptation to neglect the main things in order to address the lesser things. And therefore, we're prone to fall into a trap of becoming people pleasers and not pleasing God. Well, thankfully, the apostles resisted the temptation. They said, we will give ourselves to the thing that is most important. We see that in verse 4, and here we see the priorities of the church. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to be studying uh, through this book, and we'll move rapidly through it, and we won't really examine every chapter, but what I hope to identify for you in the next few weeks are the priorities of the church. Well, here are two very important ones in the sixth chapter. Look, if you would, please, in verse 4. But we will give ourselves continually. That's a convicting word, isn't it? We will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. The disciples, the apostles, listed for the people in the congregation in Jerusalem what the priorities were. Were they discounting the needs of the widows? No. They're going to have an answer for that. But they were resisting the temptation to leave behind the things that were most important in order to fulfill the needs that were of lesser importance. Now we see two priorities here. The priority of prayer. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer. Why is it that prayer is a hard thing for us? Because it is a spiritual work. It is, it is entering into the spiritual realm. It is facing spiritual opposition in the midst of conflict. You see, Satan wars against the mind, and the flesh is warring against God. And oftentimes, when we examine our lives and our problems and the needs, we're, we're the kind of people who think we've got to do something about it. And it runs contrary to our nature to pause and get on our knees and seek God. But the Word of God tells us that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. God can do more than you can do. Do you believe that this morning? I doubt there's anybody in this room who would disagree with that. But in practice... In practice, oftentimes, we go the other way. We do to the expense of praying. We say we're too busy. We're too busy to pray. But prayer is essential to the work of God. Prayer puts our problems into perspective. 
you know, as we see a problem and, and the problem gets magnified in our mind, or as we murmur about a problem, which we're all prone to do, again, it, it becomes something that can take us over. We view all of life through that problem. We, we cannot see anything clearly. But what prayer does is it brings us into the presence of God and it gives us a fresh perspective. And we recognize that that problem is not really a problem. We also recognize that there's really little we can do at times to solve the problem. But there's a lot that God can do. And if we're willing to humble ourselves and bow in obedience to him and in submission to him and confess that we're not able but to trust in him and, and put confidence and faith in him, you know we will see God do things and change things. And one of the things he will do and one of the things he will change is us. And the disciples knew that. But they said, we will give ourselves to prayer. You see, when we need wisdom, God provides it. When we need peace, God provides it. When we need strength, God provides it. And suddenly the problem no longer consumes us. It no longer dominates us. And God leads us to a wise resolution. Jeremiah 33, 3, the prophet said, call unto me. That's the message the Lord gave. Call unto me. Well, I want to call unto others. No, God said, call unto me. Well, Lord, I need to do something about it. No, you don't. You need to call unto me. And I will answer thee. I'll open your eyes. And I'll show you great and mighty things. Thou knowest not. You see, our knowledge is limited, but his is infinite. Oh, listen, we don't waste a moment in prayer. We will give ourselves to prayer. And then they said, and to the ministry of the word. There's the priority of prayer and there's the priority of preaching. A ministry of the word. You know, the widows, they needed more than bread or more than clothing, or more than shelter, or more than financial assistance. They, they needed more than grief counseling, and, and they needed all of those things. We're not minimizing any of those things. They needed all of them. But more than that, they needed the ministry of the Word. Uh, recently, I heard an, an interview uh, given by a, a church growth expert who works with Barna, which is a, a, a company that does many surveys and religious surveys. And in a recent survey, this expert shared a survey of young mothers who attend church. And in the survey, they were asked what they liked about their churches. Their number one complaint with the church, obviously not only were they asked what they liked, but what they disliked, the number one complaint with the church is that it did not support their emotional and mental health. When asked what they liked most about the church, 63% of them said small groups. Fifth on the list with 23% was the preaching and teaching of God's Word. 
Therefore, the surveyor and the church growth expert concluded that young moms value community over content. He recommends that pastors start to see themselves as community facilitators asking how do we hear the testimony of other moms because they have an internal monologue related to the unique challenges they face in life. In other words, the best thing to do to help mothers is get them all together and let them talk about the issues that they're facing. Because you as a pastor can't understand that. Now, I've been married for 31 years. Is it 32 now? 32 years. You know, I've never got that wrong before. Deal gently with the lad, would you? I have five children and four grandchildren, and I will admit to you, I don't understand all the pressures that young mothers face, but I have learned what many of them are. And I would, I, would, I would agree in saying to you that I'm not the greatest person in the world to address the needs of young mothers. But the author of life is far greater. And do you know what the author of life has left us to address the needs of young mothers? His word. And he has given the church the unique responsibility as the pillar and ground of the truth to preach the word. And so while all those who surveyed rated preaching as fifth in level of importance, I would say to you that God has said it is number one in level of importance. I, I didn't get to see the whole survey. I just listened to the comments of the surveyor. I, I don't know where prayer fell into that list, but I know it's in God's top two. Therefore, it ought to be in ours. Because, and by the way, I'm not discounting the needs of young mothers. So, I mean, we, we do things here in our church to encourage all groups, but I want you to think about this. The problem that's detailed in Acts chapter 6 could have been a problem among young mothers as well as it could have been among widows or single women or married men or teenagers or college students or any other group you can name. Therefore, if we follow the logic of Barna, this means that churches and pastors will have to spend countless hours, energies, and resources identifying the unique groups in their church and community and the challenges that they face. Then we have to work to create special communities where only the people who match that criteria can come together. Now, I want to be clear about something. We as a church, we provide groups and support and fellowship and communion. We do that in Sunday school, and we do that in our Wednesday evening discipleship groups, which run most of the year, not all through the year. But So there are opportunities for those things. We, we don't discount the need for those things. But the primary way that God has chosen to edify and instruct His church is not through discussions among our peers exchanging ideas about our challenges. The primary way that God meets the needs of the church is the assembly of His saints and the preaching of God's Word. Because we believe what the Bible says. 
All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God-breathed, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction of righteousness, that the man of God, that every person in the church may be perfect, mature, complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. That's why he said in verse, in 2 Timothy 4, 2, he said, preach the Word. Paul said in Colossians 1, 28, he said, we preach warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, we preach the Word of God because it is sufficient. It will meet the needs of your life. And so when we refuse to be dissuaded from our purpose and we resolve to give ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word, what we do is we leave behind the rags of our self-sufficiency and we rest in the promises of God. Isaiah said in the 55th chapter and verse number 11, My word that goeth forth out of my mouth shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. God's Word is powerful. God's Word will change us. It is the Word of God that we need. But what are the priorities of the church? Prayer and the ministry of the Word. That doesn't mean we can't do other things, because we do. But we cannot do other things to the expense of neglecting these things. Well, then that leads me to a fourth thing, and we'll close here. The progress of the church. Now, as you read through the book of Acts, you see in the first five chapters, things are moving forward. Things are advancing. Things are going great. No problems. Everybody has unity and love, and they hold all things common. But we come to chapter 6, we find something we hadn't heard before. There's a murmuring, there's a problem. And this problem perhaps threatened to undo them. But when they resisted the pressure of giving in to lesser needs in order to fulfill the greater priorities, and when they stated once again for the church what their priorities were, they were led to a solution. They were led to a solution. You know, when we obey God, God will lead us forward. And He'll lead us through difficulty. By the way, the difficulty, the problem, the conflict should not sever us and, and separate us. The conflict provides us an opportunity to bridge the gap, to strengthen our relationship, to, to, to bond ourselves even more tightly as we yield to God in His Spirit. And that's what happens here. You see, we don't, we don't see the church coming to a halt. We don't see the church throwing a temper tantrum and some here and some there and, and starting a new Jerusalem Baptist church. We don't see that. We see the church progressing. Look at verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. They said, we're, we're not going to leave the Word of God in prayer, but we're going to choose out seven men of honest report full of the Holy Ghost that we may appoint unto this business. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, 
and six others. Verse 7, And the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the church. Here we see the church progressing because they kept the right priority. They progressed in three ways. Number one, maturity. Notice verse 5, And the saying pleased the whole multitude. The multitude that was divided were now pleased. You see, when we resolve to please God, people will be pleased. God's people will be pleased. The world won't be pleased, but God's people will be pleased. That's why it's important to please Him. And they chose in this list of seven men. There were seven men who were uh, full of faith in the Holy Ghost. They were men who could serve in this capacity. There was maturity in the church. You see, God uses conflict and problem and difficulty and misunderstanding. He uses it to grow and develop the faith muscles and the grace muscles and the mercy muscles. And if we will yield to God, we'll see that we grow as individual believers. We progress and we move forward. Secondly, in the era of multiplication, look at verse 7. And the number of the disciples multiplied. You know, multiplication is a better way of growing than addition. Two plus two is four. Two times two is four. You still got four. Four plus four is, you didn't know you were going to take a math test today, did you? Four plus four is Four times four is 16 plus 16 is 16 times 16 is. I'll let you work that one at home. A lot more than 32, right? The church is multiplying. You see, when everybody in the church is right with God and doing what they're supposed to do, other people are going to be saved. And there won't just simply be addition to the church. There'll be multiplication. It's not about getting the seats filled and the building filled. It's about getting people to Jesus. It's not about getting people in this choir. It's about getting people in that choir. Because we're all going to be singing up there, whether you like it or not. Amen. By the way, by the time you get up there, you're going to like it. They were progressing in maturity and multiplication and then in miraculous power. Verse 8, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. You see, when God's church moves forward, we'll see God do miraculous things in us and through us. When we're obedient to his priorities, we'll see the power and blessing of God. I want to say a personal word to our church. I hope you don't take for granted what God is doing amongst us. It is miraculous. Souls are saved. Lives are changed. God is doing miraculous work. Let's keep the main thing, the main thing. Problems will come conflicts will arise let's deal with them 
in a spirit-filled, spirit-led manner. Let's resist the pressure the problems place on us to leave behind that which is important for something of lesser significance. Let's know that God will take care of those problems as we are faithful to Him. Let's continue in prayer and the ministry of the Word. And let's pray that God's church will move forward and progress in a way that's pleasing to Him. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.